Indigenous Rights Radio, because knowledge is power. Hello and welcome to the third episode of a series of five podcasts that aims to inform you all about the Second World Conference of Indigenous Women. This series is produced by Cultural Survival's Indigenous Rights Radio and is proudly brought to you by the International Indigenous Women's Forum, FEMI. The Second World Conference of Indigenous Women took place from August 12th until September 2, 2021. The aim of the conference is to strengthen the global movement of Indigenous women, reflect on past achievements and agree on a global agenda reflecting the priorities of recognizing and guaranteeing our collective and individual rights and well-being and serve the needs of Indigenous women's organizations and networks so that they can strengthen our movements at different levels. In this episode, we take a look at the events that transpired on August 19th. Hasblade Lago Ramirez tells us more. My name is Hasblade Lago Ramirez. I am from Colombia and I am part of FEMI supporting the AINI Fund. It's such a pleasure for me to be here with you today. Thanks for being here. Thanks for giving us your time and overall your presence and your attention. Today, we'll be dedicated to analyze the human rights framework of indigenous women under the model that we have embraced nothing about us without us. The struggle, the struggle for recognition in the national territories has been arduous and long. However, indigenous women have been firmly committed to defend and to promote the realization of their rights as women and also as indigenous people guardians of their territories and guarantors of the ancestral wisdom of their peoples. Eleanor Dictan Banwa from the Asia Indigenous Women's Network then informed delegates about the recent history of the struggles of indigenous women. I am Eleanor Dictan Banwa, Akankanaoy Igorot from the Cordillera region in the Philippines. The Convention on the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women which entered into force in the 1980s, was a welcome move for indigenous women in general. Except for Iran, all countries in the Asia-Pacific region ratified the CEDO. The policies, structures, and programs operationalizing the CEDO at the national level provided space for indigenous women and their agencies to call for redress to our situations by state authorities and other agencies as well as within our own communities and organizations. On the other hand, it also created a sense of ambivalence, especially in locating it in the community struggles against colonial and post-colonial repression and oppression, nationalism and political autonomy. Albeit slow and still in the margins, we cannot deny that there has been progress in the status of indigenous women hence. From the first International Indigenous Women's Conference in Australia in the 1980s to this conference, indigenous women from all parts of the globe have been braving challenges and risks to come together in this time in a totally new platform. 
to share, learn, and advance forward. Today, there are various international legal frameworks, processes, and mechanisms that can be used as tools to advance the rights and status of indigenous women. With, um, we have the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples already, the Committee on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, a mechanism with whom we are engaging towards the elaboration of the rights of indigenous women and girls through a general recommendation. We also have the Commission on the Status of Women, the SDGs and the International Decade of Indigenous Languages that will commence next year, among others. All these are indicators of progress from the unceasing struggles of indigenous women to be heard and to be recognized. Eight years ago in Lima, Indigenous women committed to assert, continue asserting the right to self-determination, which encompasses the direct, full, and effective participation of Indigenous peoples, including the vital role of Indigenous women in all matters related to our human rights, political status, and well-being. We endorse the principle, nothing about us without us, and further declared that everything about us with us. This panel aims to steer us to reflect on how international instruments have been useful as advocacy tools. Have we been using these instruments to advance our stakes and our rights as indigenous women, especially at the national level? What advances were made and what challenges are there? How do we further cascade these tools to the local and national level and use them to our advantage, especially in the light of the current commitments to the Sustainable Development Goals. Another indicator of progress is personified in everyone gathered in this conference and the synergy to transform challenges to victories. I am very honored to be in this panel today with exemplary women from our very own region personifying indigenous women's struggles. They have been very instrumental in the progress that we are enjoying today by taking on notable and strategic positions while leading in their various capacities as Indigenous women in local to global negotiating and decision-making spaces. Sandra Kremer from Australia is an Indigenous lawyer and human rights advocate. Sandra tells us about the challenges of Indigenous law and the mainstream legal system. My name is Sandra Creamer. I am the CEO of the National Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Women's Alliance and Adjunct Professor for Public Health in Queensland and a lawyer. I'd like to thank all the other panellists and FEMI in bringing the voices of our Indigenous women from around the world. It can be an isolating journey for us at the moment with COVID and it, it is important to collaborate together. I just want to provide some background of our rights in Australia. As Indigenous peoples, we are not in, a, in the con Constitution. We do not have treaties and we do not have a Bill of Rights, though some states are starting to implement that. Because, because of this, then we have to look at different others, different certain rights here in Australia. And that's where our international rights can come in place. And as women, we know that we face many challenges as a collective and it is important for us to be, continue to be visible 
and to ba- to and to continue to make our issues at the table. And it is important for us as Indigenous women to stand collectively to challenge the systems, laws and policies for us for our self-reliance. In Australia, we have our Racial Discrimination Act, which we as we used quite often in the legal system. And this was in, implanted in, to that in Australia with the International Prevention of Elimination Racial Discrimination. So that made up, that then became part of our law in the in our Racial Discrimination Act, and this was effective for us in our Racial Discrimination Act. Though today I'm going to talk about another area that I actually do use in my work, and I think that is really important. I'm going to talk briefly about the United Nations Declaration on Indigenous Peoples and the possibilities that it has for us. Which is our, which is an international human rights instrument that creates a compre- comprehensive standalone framework, and that defines our rights. And it has 41 articles. And for for me, that is the new order of the day for the 143 nations around the world. We must inject the human rights principles and frameworks and to show that responsibilities for us as Indigenous peoples, women and children. Though we know that in Australia in particular, it's not legally binding or enforceable, but we know that we need to use the United Nations declarations for us as a vehicle to strengthen our rights. We are at a crossroad, so this declaration is a force for us for our rights into the 21st century and for our self-determination. We have challenged the current legal system in Australia many times for our self-determination. So for us to advance any further, we at times have to turn to the UN Declaration to be part of our lifeline and to make our legal culture more just. The UN Declaration is specifically designed to solve these hard to solve social harms through the human rights framework. So what I'm going to talk about is how I've injected the human rights principles from the declaration and other instrument framework and mechanisms to strengthen indigenous women that I work with in Australia. One of the one of the groups that I work with is out in the central desert of Australia and they have they have terrible access to fresh water. So in my role as an adjunct professor, I have worked with these women in these remote communities. And so what happens out in one of the, one of, out in those communities, they have, one of them has won their large, one, their native title battle after a long battle. And that all they wanted to do was start a business. But, be, but between them, the, all that was standing between them was water security. In our remote communities, they have bore water. That is water from under the ground, and that water contains sulphur. So in order for them to have water, they have to get funding to, to install tanks. And some of our remote communities don't have that sort of money to be able to do this. This is why it's a very big issue for me when it comes to water security. And by installing these water tanks, it will then be the only fresh water that is provided to them when it comes, when it's a raining time. But it's a common story for us as Indigenous peoples here in Australia and for our Indigenous peoples around the world. 
when it comes to water security. And it's also, for us in Australia, it's also an issue that regards to our land. For people to have any basic rights such as water, medical, for health, in their remote communities, the government then want them to sign a 99-year lease. We don't want them to sign out a 99-year lease just to have that basic service. As Indigenous people, we should have the rights as anybody else in urban areas to have health, education, electricity, and to be able to have access to fresh water. And this is why I inject the human rights declaration and principles into the work that I do so that I can encourage people to understand what their rights are and continue to challenge the legal system what their rights are and to insert that rights because when we do that, we can make changes. There's 500 million Indigenous peoples in the world. We are the largest human rights group in the world and we are the ones who are making changes through their legal system and policies. So we have to use these different international instruments, mechanism and the United Nations declarations for Indigenous peoples. But for us, we know there are always barriers and we have hardships, but we still have to use our rights to work together and to support this. We have to do this by writing submissions, going to the United Nations or even taking on legal battles, which can be a long drawn out process. For us in Australia, sometimes for us to get our recognition as being an Indigenous person to our own land, it can be a long legal process, which can take up to 10 years sometimes. We may not see each other as sisters in this world at this moment, but I want us to remember, even though we are living remotely or living distance or we don't have any face-to-face, -face, we are here to be a voice and we must remember that for those who are invisible, we must be able to speak for them and to let them know what their rights are and to be able to speak and to show them what their rights are. We must not forget each other, our issues and who we are as Indigenous peoples and women. We have to be at the table and we need to be able to continue to challenge the challenges that have continually faced us for many generations Laws were not put in place, policies were not put in place. We were all written off around the world. But it is through making challenges in the legal system, especially, that we've been able to implement different changes, that we've been able to set down precedents so that we can all use around the world when we're challenging in the courts. And it's very important that we also understand and know what our rights are and to continue to challenge the system. From Cameroon in Africa, representing the Mbororo people, Aminato Gambu from Fimi shares details on the global study on the situation of indigenous women and girls, which was published by Fimi. So the global study on in the situation of indigenous women was prepared in 2020, um, and it outlined the progress, the challenges, and some of the good practices led by indigenous women uh, from the Americas, Asia, Africa, Arctic, and the Pacific. And this is in relation to the 12 critical areas of concern of the Beijing Declaration and Platform for Action. Um, the global study was compiled using information that was provided by the regions, uh, 
uh, which was prepared by both indigenous and non-indigenous consultants. Uh, this uh, was done in close collaboration with the FEMI board members who are representative of each of the regions respectively. Uh, they gave their approval on the final content of the regional studies, um, ensuring that the voices and experience of indigenous women at all levels were reflected. So in this global study, some of the main findings of the studies included like the I mentioned earlier the progress and the challenges. So some of the progress that was highlighted in the study included, it uh, mentioned that after the Beijing declaration, um, Beijing conference, there, there was a high increase in the, um, uh, in the establishment of regional and global uh, indigenous women organizations and movements. It also highlighted the increase of particip political participation of indigenous women, both at the national and international level, uh, thanks to the fact that uh, it strengthened the indigenous women organizations through their advocacy works. Uh, it also mentioned that indigenous women have been building alliances among themselves and with other social uh, organizations and movements. It mentioned that uh, several, several cultural land-based programs have been created by and successfully implemented by indigenous women and indigenous women organizations at a global level. Uh, it also highlighted that indigenous women no longer see themselves as victims, um, but uh, more of taking the roles to be uh, the mediators and peace builders. Uh, lastly, it also mentioned uh, the progress that indigenous women communicators and filmmakers routinely hold meetings and film screening uh, related indigenous women lives and violence related um, uh, programs. So some of the challenges included uh, that uh, it highlighted the persistent discriminatory policies and non-economic growth uh, development models. Um, it also shows that there's a high migration of indigenous women moving from the uh, rural to the urban areas, uh, which it was documented in all the regions. Uh, it also shows the limited economic opportunities, food insecurities, land dispositions, and lack of basic uh, social services, among other factors. In the Americas, for example, indigenous women continue to be underrepresented in political spaces, both in elected and appointed spaces. The report shows that about two, uh, 304 human rights defenders were killed in 2019 uh, alone globally, 13% of whom were women and 40% were engaged on land rights issues. Uh, it, it shows that mental health issues and high suicide, uh, high suicide rates are crucial issues among indigenous women living in the Arctic region. And also in Canada, the Inuit women have registered lowest level of educational attainment. Um, so it, it also have basic conclusions and recommendations that were made to both government, UN agencies, and also other um, uh, um, stakeholders. Uh, it highlighted that the global study um, from all the regions have registered structural violence, discrimination, and marginalization. 
And also it shows that there is a reluctance of states, for example, in Africa, Asia and the Pacific to recognize the indigenous people. Uh, it still presents the main critical issues for the protection of the right of indigenous women. Um, it also mentioned that the COVID-19 pandemic has led to a barrier of inequality, both between and within countries, according to gender, race, ethnicity, and so on. Uh, the global study also outlined how the situation of indigenous women cannot be properly described and understood without referring to individual and collective rights simultaneously. Um, just to mention that uh, we do have this uh, global study available in four different languages on the FIMI website. Uh, languages include Spanish, French, Russian, and English. Um, for those of you who have not yet had the opportunity to read it, you'll be able to find it there. Or if you wish, you can contact us directly. We can provide you with a copy of the study. We also have the regional studies that I mentioned that the, the global study was based of the regional studies. All the regional studies from Asia, Africa, Latin America and the Caribbean and North America. And then we also have Arctic and Pacific. We have five regional reports at the FEMI website as well. And that's where we have to conclude episode three. We say thank you to all the voices of all the women who have helped us to put this podcast together. We have come to the end of this episode and we would like to thank all the partners who have made this conference possible. The Oak Foundation, Wellspring Philanthropic Fund, Ford Foundation, Christensen Fund, Foundation for a Just Society, Channel Foundation, Mama Cash, the Malpais Trust and the MacArthur Foundation. To learn more about the World Conference of Indigenous Women, visit worldconferenceiw.org and for more on the rights of indigenous peoples, visit cs.org.